You think you've got issues? On today's podcast, I am very excited to reintroduce our very special guest, psychotherapist Liza Gold. She was with us last podcast to discuss narcissistic personality disorder, and we are thrilled to have her back again today to discuss another very commonly diagnosed personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. I'm going to reintroduce our guest in a minute, but first let's define some things so that you have a better understanding of our discussion. In the last podcast, I defined a personality disorder as a mental disorder characterized by deeply ingrained patterns of behavior, cognition, and inner experience. These patterns cause difficulty in relationships and are difficult to treat because they're egocentric, meaning that a person with a personality disorder believes that their behaviors are appropriate and externalizes problems to others, an I'm okay, you're not okay view. And they typically have very little other sight, which I talked about in a previous podcast as the capacity to understand the needs and feelings of other people. Now, borderline personality disorder falls into the category of a cluster B personality disorder. You can feel free to Google this. And those are disorders that are characterized by unstable and intense emotions. About 2% of the population is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I'm going to call it BPD. And this diagnosis is often complicated by the fact that people with BPD often have associated issues like anxiety or depression or post-traumatic stress or even drug abuse. And usually people with BPD display some or all of the following traits, and we're going to talk more in depth about these later. Frantic efforts to avoid abandonment, unstable and intense relationships, distorted and unstable sense of self, impulsive behaviors, feelings of emptiness, intense anger, recurrent suicidal or self-mutilating behavior, and rapidly shifting moods. Now, because of the rapidly shifting moods, this sometimes means that BPD is misdiagnosed as bipolar disorder. But the difference is that for borderlines, the mood swings usually don't arise out of the blue, but are triggered by relationship issues. So how does BPD develop? Most experts agree that BPD develops as a result of biological, genetic, and environmental factors, nature and nurture. So for instance, environmentally, there is evidence that a childhood environment, which is emotionally invalidating for a child, may predispose a person to BPD. In terms of genetics and biology, there's some evidence that a variation in the serotonin gene or an increased activation in the area of the brain associated with the experience and expression of emotion may be factors in the development of BPD. Now, look, We've all got issues and we all experience emotions, both negative and positive. But most of us have learned to manage, express, and cope with these emotions in a healthy way. For people with BPD, emotional regulation is much more difficult. So treatment is really focused on building the capacity for emotional regulation, not suppressing or repressing emotions, but learning to calibrate one's emotions in relation to an event and to exert some control over the expression of these emotions. To talk more about this type of treatment and BPD in general is our returning guest, Liza Gold. Liza is a psychotherapist with a thriving practice in New York City. She earned her graduate degree from Columbia University and has gained clinical experience working in substance abuse, hospital settings, and group private practices. Over the past six years, she has pursued rigorous postgraduate training in a variety of clinical modalities, including psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral, and dialectical behavior therapy, which we're going to discuss as one of the types of therapy commonly used to help people 
with emotional regulation and for BPD. She currently splits her time between her job as an administrative director of a group practice and expanding her own private practice. And this is really exciting. Liza is currently in the process of writing a clinical textbook about objective countertransference. I'm going to let you all Google that too. So welcome again, Liza. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So today we're going to dive deep into another commonly diagnosed personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. Now, I've introduced the concept of what a personality disorder is and what are the criteria for BPD, but let's translate that into a real image. Can you tell our listeners what BPD looks like? Like, what are these folks like in person? Sure. So, you know, individuals with BPD feel their emotions deeper and more intensely than the average person, and they're slower to recover from their emotions. So that creates a lot of emotional intensity and extremes in relationships. So if you're in a relationship with someone with BPD, there may be a lot of turmoil and emotional crises. You know, there's a lot of chronic instability, both emotionally and interpersonally, meaning in relationships. Um, Individuals with BPD really tend to think in black and white, you know, either their life, their life is amazing or their life is awful. They feel great about themselves or they feel terrible. There's really no middle ground. And that too contributes to the chronic emotional instability, um, both within themselves and in their relationships. You know, because of the black and white thinking individuals with BPD experience these really intense shifts in how they feel about people and about how they, you know, how they feel about themselves. So, you know, there are a lot of inconsistencies that you may notice about individuals with BPD that they themselves won't notice. It's simply the result of their sort of moving from one extreme to the other, from black to white. You know, you had mentioned at the start, Lori, that they, you know, individuals with BPD experience a fear of abandonment, which is very real and, you know, most often rooted in childhood. But even something like a partner coming home late from work or a friend showing up late to dinner or not responding to a text in a timely manner can trigger that fear of abandonment. Um, And typically when individuals with borderline are feeling insecure in a relationship, they will lash out or start fights or, or do something impulsive to keep the other person close. Including things like suicidal threats yes, and self-harm. Yes. yes. In fact, there are a high percentage of individuals with borderline personality disorder engage in acts of self-harm or, or suicidal threats. Um, you know, the, the self-harm is one way that they regulate their emotions, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, because their feelings are typically so intense and extreme, self-harm sometimes serves to function as a way to modulate their moods, but it can also serve as a way to, again, keep others close. It, it can be perceived as manipulative, but it's not, it's not uncommon for an individual with borderline if they fear, let's say, a partner may be leaving them to say, if you leave, I'm going to hurt myself, right? Because it puts the other person in position of then having to stay. Now, we're going to talk about how to handle that later, but before we even get to that, one thing that I find interesting is is that women are diagnosed more with BPD than men. So what do you think is up with that? Are women more likely to have BPD, or do you think that there's a social construct that influences this diagnosis? 
A great question and interesting statistic. The prevalence of borderline personality disorder is actually roughly equal across genders, but women are consistently overdiagnosed and men are consistently underdiagnosed. As you mentioned, I do think this is a, you know, a social construct. One of the theories about this issue has to do with gender stereotypes. Historically, women have been stereotyped as being overly emotional or hysterical. In fact, hysteria was a mental health disorder that was commonly attributed to women in the Victorian era. You know, if we look at gender stereotypes, let's let's also examine some double standards. If we take a look at promiscuity, for example, women are, are typically shamed for overt sexuality, whereas men are praised, revered, applauded, right? So one of the criteria for borderline personality disorder is sexual impulsivity. And social tolerance for sexual behavior is different for men and women. It's seen as natural and healthy for men, whereas women who engage in the same behavior are more likely to be pathologized. So that's interesting. So we tend to underdiagnose men because they don't as readily express their emotion. And women who do readily express their emotion or act in impulsive ways, which is normalized for men, are then pathologized more. Okay, interesting. So now... (laughs) I think a lot of people have borderline features or characteristics. I mean, a lot of people are sensitive, emotional, quick to get angry. So, you know, I remember in graduate school, you know, when we were reading about these diagnostic categories, me and all my friends were like, do do I have borderline personality? You know, because we all have some of these characteristics, but what is the difference between just having those traits and an actual personality disorder? And what is it like for people who are in relationships with somebody who has a borderline personality disorder? So uh, to answer your, your first question about the difference between borderline features or the traits you mentioned and an actual borderline diagnosis is that those with a borderline condition are chronically unstable. And we really have to look at behavioral patterns in the long term. In fact, most therapists and psychiatrists won't diagnose someone with borderline personality disorder right away because the evidence really needs to accumulate over time. Being sensitive or emotional or quick to anger doesn't warrant a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. That's actually a really good point. And I know that I do that in my practice, you know, and then the difference between somebody who externalizes, like we can all get quick to anger or behave impulsively, but those of us without BPD can recognize that and sit back and own that and be accountable for that. Whereas I feel with people with borderline personality disorder, always feel like it's the other person that provoked them and that they have a hard time being accountable for the fact that it's their inability to regulate their emotions or calibrate their emotions to the event. They always feel justified in their emotional reactions. Yes. And that is actually a feature that clinicians will look for when they're treating individuals and assessing for borderline personality disorder. How does this client take or not take responsibility for his or her, their own behaviors? So now we've discussed that the reality of that people with personality disorders are difficult to treat um, and that there are specific therapies, specific techniques and specific goals for treatment of BPD all around kind of, you know, emotional regulation. And one of the therapies, newer therapies that is really designed to treat um emotional dysregulation and to increase the capacity for emotional regulation is dialectical behavior therapy. And I know that you're versed in this type of therapy. Can you talk a little bit about how, what that therapy is and how it works to increase emotional regulation in all of our patients and in particular our borderline clients? 
absolutely. So dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT for short assumes that many of the problems exhibited by individuals with borderline condition are the result of skills deficits. So this kind of treatment encourages individuals to accept painful emotions while also integrating coping skills to change unhelpful thought patterns and behaviors. DBT is really all about balance, moving away from black and white thinking, which can lead to extremes that harm relationships and distort reality and into a sort of more gray area. It, it teaches, I've you know, instead of either or, life can be this and that. I love so, that, this and that, that there's gray and that we can hold two seemingly dichotomous emotions at the same time. So right. instead of splitting them and making it an either or proposition, I love that. So talk, talk to me about the skills that DBT actually teaches people. Well, there are four, four sets of skills that DBT teaches. The first set of skills is, is called mindfulness. What mindfulness teaches is, is how to be fully in the present, how to observe yourself and the environment without judgment and without labeling people or situations as good or bad. Next set of skills taught in DBT are called interpersonal effectiveness. And these skills teach, individual, teach individuals to ask for what they need in a skillful way, um, being able to say no or express negative emotions without damaging relationships. It really teaches individuals with borderline personality disorder to balance their own needs with the needs of others. Again, looking at that you know, this and that, not either or. My needs and your needs, not my needs Just or your my needs. Right, right. right. Um, the next set of skills is emotion regulation. And this teaches individuals to really be able to identify and manage their emotional reactions in ways that are healthy and non-destructive. Finally, distress tolerance, the, the fourth and last set of skills, teaches individuals to be able to accept and tolerate painful emotions without doing anything destructive, impulsive, or harmful that would make the distress worse. I think that's the hardest piece for most people. You know, and I've written a lot about this, the capacity to tolerate difficult emotions. And I actually think in our kind of culture today, we believe that we should never feel upset. We shouldn't have any pain. We should never feel upset. So we're kind of almost culturally indoctrinated to the idea that we should never have to tolerate difficult emotions. And for the borderline, it's even more difficult because they have so many difficult emotions all the time. And learning to tolerate them and just, I always call it like, just just ride out the storm. It's just a weather squall. Just ride it out. That's right. I like to say surfing, surfing the wave. Okay, there we go. Okay, yes. We have a lot of ocean analogies in therapy, I feel like. When you described, you know, just a moment ago, I mean, that's one of the dangers of the positive psychology movement, right? Right. of negative emotion, that it's not good, that it's not okay to have a negative. It's not perfectly normal. That it's right. not something that we experience every day. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. And I, I, I have a problem with that with the whole positive psychology and positive thinking movement. It's like, that's just not, that's not possible to sustain 100% of the time. Not realistic. Right. So, so that's what we do with the borderline client in therapy. But I want you to now talk and, and help our listeners who may have a friend or family member or a partner who has a borderline personality disorder by talking about some of the strategies that can help manage the relationship and some of the extreme behaviors that borderlines exhibit. 
I mean, I know that I often uh, teach people involved with someone with BPT, the SET or SET technique. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about this? Yes. So it's a great, it's a great technique and it's a really effective way to communicate during moments of emotional intensity with individuals who have borderline personality disorder in order to deescalate conflict. So what SET stands for is support, empathy, and truth. So we'll start with support. Support refers to an initial statement that you might make to indicate that you support the person with borderline personality disorder. It typically is about you. So it it begins with an I statement to convey that you genuinely care and want to help and listen. So some examples might be, I really care about how you feel, or I genuinely want to help. The statement is meant to offer reassurance that you can be trusted and that the other person's feelings and needs matter. Empathy in set refers to communicating that you understand what the other person is feeling. Unlike the support statement, which focuses on I, you know, as an I want to help, empathy focuses on the other person, the person you're speaking to. And the goal is to convey that you understand. So some examples might be, you have every right to be sad, or that must be really frustrating, or it makes sense that you're angry with me. Empathy is not pity. It's not sympathy. It's not letting go of your own personal boundaries, and it's not a show of agreement. You can empathize with someone without agreeing with their point of view, but it really is about communicating that you understand. And finally, in the set technique, we come to truth. And truth refers to an honest appraisal of the situation. And this is where you, the speaker, communicate your role in what you can do to help the problem or how you see the problem. So some examples include, well, here's what I can do, or here's what I'd like to do, or this is what might happen. It's important before you provide the quote unquote truth that you first share empathy and support so that your truth statement can be heard and tolerated. Otherwise, you risk the truth being perceived as invalidating or rejecting. Right, because sometimes those truth statements are, this is what I need to do if, if you do this. That's you know, right. I, I, you know, I am really concerned about you. You know, you've expressed some suicidal ideation. I understand that you're feeling really sad and upset right now. Um, but the reality is, is that if you do something to act on that, I'm going to need to get, you know, I'm, I'm going to need to take you to the hospital, the emergency right. room, get the authorities involved. So the truth can sometimes be, hard for the borderline. So if you do that, it sounds like you're saying if you do that without the support and empathy, it, they're going to shut down and it's going to escalate the situation. Right. And what the set technique is trying to do is to de-escalate the situation. That's so right. so I really like that. I actually think the set technique, which I love, is just a really great technique on uh, communicating with anybody in a high intense situation. It's just that with borderlines, we have an awful lot of high intense situations. Right, right. It's, it's like riding a roller coaster ride. Yes. So, because I think when we were talking about this earlier, you said, you know, that borderlines can have some really positive features. They're often intelligent. And um, you talked about some other traits that, you, that, you, that borderlines can kind of bring to the table. Sociable, giving, charismatic, fun. Yes. Yes. Right. So if we can turn down the volume on some of those other things. You know, it can be it can be a much easier ride to tolerate being in a relationship with a borderline. Yes, no question. 
Well, thank you so much, Liza. This was another great discussion. I would love it if you would come back and and we could tackle another subject together because it's so much fun to talk to you and I feel like we're on the same wavelength about things. So, um, So thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. We will talk soon and we will bring Liza back. Thank you all for listening. I'm Dr. Laurie, and I will see you next podcast. Dr. Laurie Appel is a licensed psychologist in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Her license and practice information is available on her website, lauriepelpsyd.com. All information provided on Dr. Laurie's podcast is solely for educational and informational purposes and is not meant to serve as psychological counseling. If you have personal issues you would like to explore, please contact a licensed mental health professional in your state.